Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your rigging ropes aren't just tools of the trade. They do the grunt work. They have to endure dynamic loads, abrasion, and moving through hardware while keeping you safe, which is why Samson rigging ropes are specifically designed and engineered to meet the rigors of your job, the result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Stable braid rigging line is the industry standard for arborists. A durable polyester double braid rope with a high strength to weight ratio, torque-free construction with UV protection. Put Stable Braid to work for you. Stable Braid from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information. This episode of the TCIA podcast is brought to you by Tree Diaper. Did you know that the normal one-year warranty on a new tree has nothing to do with tree establishment? Or that newly transplanted trees need two to five years of maintenance before establishment? It's because trees often lose the majority of their roots during the establishment process for a variety of reasons, including the expense of irrigation and the time of manual watering. Tree Diaper is a patented multifunctional plant protection system that absorbs rain or irrigation water before slowly releasing it back when soil dries. When used properly, it promotes healthy outward root growth that facilitates establishment and establishes the long-term health of the tree. By reducing watering need, it significantly reduces the labor and water costs while increasing the survival rate of newly transplanted trees. To learn more about how Tree Diaper can help your company get ahead of proper planting maintenance for your customers and help you save time and money, visit treediaper.com. Or Tim Bushnell, uh, my current role at Davy Davy Tree is arborist skills specialist. I've been at Davy almost three years. Uh, before that, I was uh, well. I wore many hats through my 16 years with uh, Cheryl Tree, uh, Cheryl Arborist Supplies. When I started with them. Uh, and then for the 16 years previous to that, I had uh, many different roles in the tree care industry. Uh, you know, just starting as a brush dragger, climber, foreman. Uh, I had a tree company with two partners, which is still in existence in the Northern Virginia area called Growing Earth Tree Care. And they are uh, 27 years into business now, I think, and doing well. Uh, working for small companies, working for large companies, obviously Davey, three years as a sales rep with the Bartlett Tree Expert Company, uh, learned a ton of stuff there as an arborist. Uh, so, but I would say that my specialty, if I had one, would be uh, the climbing and rigging equipment, uh, the climbing techniques, and then uh, around uh, inspection of the gear. That's amazing. That's a long career and because this is an interesting question from everybody's perspective how did you actually get your start in the industry because from everything I've heard people just kind of fall into it was that the case with you as well yeah the my my journey uh was pretty much accidental uh, I had gone to uh, college for a year and it just wasn't quite a fit for me at that time in my life uh, and my cousin had a tree business in New Jersey. And I decided that uh, my grandmother had an extra room in the house that I could rent uh, right down the street from my cousin's yard. 
And uh, the very important thing at that time was that my cousin had a refrigerator that he kept well stocked with Budweiser at all times. So that was the clincher for a 17-year-old uh, in, in looking for a summer job. So uh, yeah, that's you know just uh, looking for money and wasn't really sure what I was going to be doing you know, beyond that summer. And uh, my, you know, you've got cousins that, uh, that you relate to and some that you don't really care to hang out with. Uh, and uh, Bobby Caffrey with Caffrey Tree was uh, sort of my favorite cousin, if you will. So uh, and we had a lot of similarities and we've always hit it off since we were young. Uh, so that relationship was solidly there. Uh, and that's, uh, that's how I got my start. Was there any points over your, yeah, I mean, your career seems to span all aspects where you were like, you, it clicked for you where you're like, this is it. Was it, you know, later on, was it earlier on? Yeah. I, well, I, I, yeah. Climbing I'd say really uh, is what got me going and uh, getting up in the trees and, you know, the satisfaction of, you know, completing technical removals successfully uh, you know, once I started um, learning proper printing techniques and, and being able to complete a, a nice printing job and stand back and, and take a look at it from a distance and, and kind of nod your head and say, yeah, that, that's nice. I think that was probably, I, well, it still is. I still consider myself a climber. Sometimes I call it clumbing instead of climbing because I don't do it as much as I'd like to. So I'm not exactly on my game, but uh yeah, I'd say the climbing. And then when I got with Bartlett Tree Experts and I really started learning about uh, insect and disease diagnosis uh, and uh, being able to diagnose those problems, you know, being called by a client, uh, they said, this is my favorite tree or shrub or whatever, and it doesn't seem to be doing well and being able to accurately diagnose it and put together a program and, and work with that client. And then over, you know, months and years to, to really turn that around and um, and really have those plants uh, continue to be, you know, favorite plants for those customers. That's, that, that, that's a little different, I think, of a satisfaction, but a, a nice satisfaction nonetheless. You've been in the industry and you've probably seen a lot of changes happen recently. It seems like uh, the industry as a whole is just progressing quicker and quicker. And coming from somebody who's looking from the outside in, what was it like being on the inside when all these changes were happening? Uh, very exciting for me as a climber. When I was a production climber in the 90s, I mean, I specifically remember going to the Pendell Symposium. I was living down in Virginia and we used to go up because that was sort of the biggest show in the area, trade show. Um, and Carl Kumling had their, their normal setup in the back and uh, they had uh, sort of on display, you know, the Blake's Hitch. And it was like, whoa, what is that? Because all we knew was the tall line hitch and it was kind of a pain. And we started hearing about this Blake sitch and there, so he had, you know, Jason Blake had an advertisement out. You could send him 30 bucks and he'd send you a VHS tape of how to do the Blake sitch, right? And I, we were close to doing that. We're like, you know, we just, you know, we get one, we all learn from it. But then there was Carl Kummeling and the Blake's hitch in his shot. Now we didn't have cell phones and stuff then. So we couldn't just, you know, take a couple of pictures. We had to look at it and study it and kind of learn it right then, you know, that's when, and I don't even think we were, we might've been doing split tails. I guess maybe, maybe we were starting to split tail uh, at the same time, 
but to go to, to Split Tail and Blake Sitch and then start using microfoleys and, and being in production at that time um, and incorporating those tools, you know, and using them for hours day after day so that, that you can incorporate them and, and figure out the challenges, uh, figure out the advantages and disadvantages, you know, within days or weeks of uh, discovering those tools was great. You know, now uh, when I'm, I'm using new tools or figuring out new techniques, you know, I got to find the time to climb and I'm only climbing sort of when I can. And, you know, it's, it's different than being a production climber. So fast forward to today, what does your current job consist of? Yeah, so lots of stuff. Uh, well, just on the phone or on a Teams meeting, you know, do working out some questions uh, for uh, a study guide for ISA certification internal with Davey, uh, with study questions. And um, so it's a lot of hats. Um, it is, you know, Davey has their own um, approved gear. Uh, and techniques. Uh, I'm on that that committee, and that's uh, that's a lot of work because there's new stuff coming out all the time that we're trying to keep a close eye on. Uh, I I primarily work with our uh, residential uh, skills trainers. Uh, so this is a team of individuals who train our climbers and uh, climbing and rigging and job site setup and all things involved in uh, getting jobs done and working with your crews. Um, and that's still, well, it's three or four years uh, into the making now, but in, in Davy time, that's still fairly at the beginning. So we're still laying some foundation for that, putting together processes, uh, developing a nice team there. Uh, and that's great. Don Rapolo is a super stand-up guy, uh, fantastic to work with. Uh, so that's, I'd say 70, 75% of my time. And then uh, developing some training programs outside of the, what the skills trainers do. I, th I think I'm missing some things there, but yeah, so it's, um, it, you know, it's kind of fun when uh, I started speaking with Davey and we started to find out if uh, there would be a spot for, for me there. Uh, there wasn't sort of a position that I filled. Uh, they just kind of said, come on over and we'll figure out what to do with you. Uh, and that, you know, that may, I'm kind of a little bit of an OCD kind of organized kind of know your next step person, you know, and that was a little that I struggled with that uh, and still do to a certain extent, but it's also been fun along the way and challenging and I'm getting involved in aspects of arboriculture that I haven't been necessarily involved at a high level before. And the neat thing is that I'm involved with the individuals that I'm getting involved with those aspects with are, you know, very well-trained and well-respected in those areas of arboriculture. So I feel like, um, you know, I'm, uh, I have very good guidance. Where do you, so where do you find the time for all that? Because for our audience at home listening, you also received the Pat Felix Volunteer of the Year Award for your work on the A300 committee as well. Do you sleep at all? Like... There seems to be a lot going on. There is. Thank you for that. And that, yeah, that was uh, a, a unexpected uh, award and uh, one that really I paused on that one uh, when I found out that uh, I had been selected for that award. Uh, and going through the list of previous award winners, there's some solid names on there. 
Uh, and uh, I know that it's not one that's, uh, or, or that it is an award that there's a lot of thought uh, given out to that one. So to be selected uh, for that award was still kind of settling in. Um, but uh, yeah, so time, um, uh, it's a good question. <laughs> Fortunately, I do love what I do. Uh, my wife's a teacher. I'm, you know, a tree person and, and we both just, uh, the, the lines between work and non-work uh, are pretty much gone. Uh, but that's okay too. We, we, we don't see that as a bad thing. Um, yeah, I have a lot of energy around what I do because I love it. And that allows me to, uh, to put a lot of hours into it, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, you're into education and your wife is into education. So it seems perfect. Um, do you have any formal skills in education or were when you, let me, that's let me okay. try to rephrase no that one, but, you, um, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of education that goes on in what you do now. Um, did you pick all of that up as you were going and as you were growing through, or did you actually have to sit down and take some semi-formal education classes? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. Um, I appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, once I did that year of college, which I didn't do very well at because I didn't go to many classes, um, you know, and I just got out of the tree care and my first uh, gosh, I'm going to say four or five years in tree care were just completely on the job training and, and not, well, I'd say three or four years. Uh, and then I started getting out to some trade shows and symposiums and those types of things and started realizing that, hey, there's some like interesting stuff to learn about trees. And, you know, uh, and so uh, I became a certified arborist in, oh gosh, I don't remember when that happened. 98, 99, it was somewhere there towards the beginning of the program. And uh, CTSP, when that program first became available. Um, and uh, I'm thinking about doing my board certified master, but I don't know. Anyways, uh, and then as I became sort of, when I went to Cheryl Tree and my, my focus was, well, I should say when I went to Bartlett and you know I had a, a week, my first week was traveling around with my manager uh, then my second week was a full week down at the Bartlett Research Lab, uh, getting what they call new rep training, which is a lot of that is uh, insect and disease management and, and identification. Uh, so that was uh, education at a high level. And then as far as uh, equipment is concerned, Petzl offers a terrific program at their facility in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, which is, um, it can be three days or you can stay for a fourth day. Um, and become sort of qualified to train others on it. And it's a, essentially inspection of PPE, uh, personal protective equipment. And Petzl is a European company. And when they say PPE, that's not just helmets and eye protection, it also means uh, pretty much anything that keeps you safe aloft, carabiners and harnesses and ropes and that kind of stuff. So that's a nice formal training program um, that uh, you get a certificate for, you're recognized for it. They ask you to come back every three years and to redo it. And I continued to search for more equipment training. And in speaking with my contacts from around the world, which I've made pretty much through the International Tree Climbing Competitions, you know, they, I found out that the Lowler training uh, in Great Britain was uh, very good. So if you're a, a tree care company in Great Britain, then by law, you're supposed to have uh, all of your rigging equipment 
uh, actually your climbing and rigging equipment inspected by a third party uh, every year. Now that third party can be actually, can be a person within your organization who has been trained to and qualified to perform that inspection. So um, I managed to uh, take that, uh, that's a three day intensive training course uh, and then a, um, a half day exam after the training. And then that is another one of those programs. I think you're supposed to be recertified every three years, but I mean, I don't perform any inspections to uh, companies in Great Britain, but it was a very good training opportunity and the best that, that, that I know of. And then, you know, Arbor Master went through a lot of their training courses and you get your certificates from there. Um, and then North American Training Solutions uh, has their training programs that I've gone through and got cert certificates from. So as far as, uh, uh, you know, if you want to say formal, those are kind of some of the things that, uh, that I've done along the way. I mean, college definitely was just the wrong medium of learning for you because you've continued on far beyond what most people would do. And then renewing it every three years for a lot of these is quite intensive. So you went from one set of uh, continued education to a completely different set. And I think that's important to note because uh, I think it's easy for what it sounds like people to get stuck and kind of, this is what I'm doing. This is what I've been doing. How did you start getting involved? Because obviously when you started, it was just a, a job. And then at one point did that transition to, okay, so this is going to be my career. I need to meet people. I need to do more. I need to continue more. Yeah. And I would say, um, Mainly, the main avenue for that would be the tree climbing competitions. Um, the fact that I'm competitive in, in what I do and our, the Mid-Atlantic chapter was the chapter I was in when I was competing. And that's a, a you know, they, they run a nice competition there uh, always. I guess I have been involved in the Mid-Atlantic tree climbing competitions since 1989, except for one year as either a competitor or a volunteer. And so that connected me, although I never competed internationally with the tree climbing competitions, um, I did started volunteering and uh, a guy named Scott Prophet uh, was involved in the international tree climbing competition. And he brought me into, uh, into that event. Then I became head technician for the international tree climbing competition, which is a real kind of oh, you know what moment, um, because that heavy pucker factor on that one, because uh, I really felt like I was uh, in over my head. Uh, and that's when I realized like, whoa, I guess if uh, I'm going to be responsible for making some of these decisions, then I need to make sure that, uh, you know, I'm as knowledgeable as I can be. So I think uh, two, three-year terms as head technician for the International Tree Climate Competition um, really uh, I feel like in that position, you can serve the climbers better if your knowledge of the equipment and the techniques is at a high level. So I worked my butt off to make sure that my knowledge was at a high level. Um, and then it just kind of went from that's, you know, those, those six years, just the connections that I made. And when I was with Cheryl, I was able to go over to the European tree climbing competition three or four times. Um, and that was, you know, it was a great event and just 
again, speaking to the vendors and seeing the new equipment and uh, speaking to the manufacturers about their new equipment and learning, you know, about the equipment from the manufacturers themselves was terrific. Uh, and I would say this is probably a good time to talk about a real pivotal change um, in, in my career. And that was in June of 1996. I was um, utilizing a technique that I had seen uh, somebody kind of talk about. They didn't really demonstrate it. They were more on a stage showing some PowerPoint presentations. And I thought I had it. And um, the first time I used it was not low and slow. It was, you know, that next week uh, doing a big removal. And um, I, I tried it and um, I did it wrong. And or I... I didn't dot my I's and cross my T's and, and it resulted in falling off of a spar 38 feet. Uh, and uh, that ended my, my tree climbing production career. I'm still a tree climber, but uh, you know, I have never been, a, I, I say a production tree climber day in, day out, leading crews, you know, that's, that's what you do. Um, my production tree climbing ended that day. And um, you know, 28 staples to, you know, put my head back together, severe, wow. severe concussion, uh, permanently lost 15% of my hearing in my left ear. And it took, uh, it took three years uh, to get the, my neurologist to finally kind of cut me loose and uh, say that I don't have uh, permanent brain damage. So that was a journey. And, um, because of that, now it wasn't, I don't blame the person who delivered the information that I didn't hear well, and I coupled it with some super bad habits that I had, and that was the result of the fall. So it was my fault completely. However, um, I know that there are climbers out there who don't have the best habits. They might not be as bad as mine were back then, but they could be not so good. And, uh, you know, we know that uh, attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. I didn't have a long attention span back then, but it's certainly shorter now. So I know that there are individuals who are um, watching videos or attending training events or seminar events or whatever, who may be challenged in focusing and, uh, you know, absorbing uh, the important information that's being delivered. And because a lack of uh, any, any, any pieces that by, might be missed in there could be very important. Um, you know, I work hard to engage uh, the crowds to, to make sure that the important uh, aspects of what I'm uh, training are, uh, are understood as much as possible and that the consequences um, if not followed correctly are also understood. So, you know, some people say there's only so much you can do. And, and I guess that's true. If somebody doesn't want to listen or hear completely or focus on what's being said, then, you know, I don't know, but um, I work hard to, to make sure that the, the message is delivered well. Yeah. And that's terrifying that fall like that. Um, so I guess continuing with your, your commitment to safety, basically, when did it start? Did it start like immediately after that point or was it uh, kind of something that happened and you just kind of grew into knowing the risk of what could happen? Yeah, great question. So I think that, so safety wasn't 
uh, very high on the priority list for the first, com for first two companies that I worked for. Um, and it, it wasn't really their fault um, that was just the, the cultures there. And the you know, times were different back in the 80s. You know, I started in 85 and I don't want to give any excuses or anything, but, uh, you know, it's just that times were a little bit different back then. And yeah, um, but I think when when I got with the company that started, had a little bit higher focus, they still weren't really wearing helmets on a regular basis and stuff like that. But um, then when we got our own company and, you know, we were in charge of uh, the employees that we hired, we were in charge of their safety. Uh, and, and I remember when, when chainsaw chaps were, became a requirement, right? They haven't always been a requirement, um, you know, or chainsaw protection for your legs. Um, and then when we found out that it was a requirement, we're like, oh, well, we're going to, you know, have to get on this. So, you know, we, we bought chaps and we just, you know, made sure that everybody uh, on the cruise, we only had two crews but that this is going to be a big change. And, you know, it's not what we're used to doing. We're going to have to change our habits. So we have to support each other. Um, and uh, so I remember specifically making sure everybody knew that, hey, I'm, I'm one of the owners, but please get my attention. If you see me picking up a chainsaw without putting the chaps on, let me know. I'm going to need some help here. And some people did, and, and I helped them along the way. And, you know, it took a couple of months until that was a new habit. Uh, but uh, we got there, you know, eventually. And uh, on the helmet, uh, I mean, I specifically remember a gentleman named Rob Springer at the Knights of Columbus. I want to say it was in Arlington, Virginia, right around there. He was given a demonstration uh, to a small group. I happen to be in that small group of people. And um, he had some watermelons. And uh, essentially, uh, he put uh, a helmet on top of one watermelon, and he didn't have a helmet on the other watermelon. And uh, he had a big stick or a sledgehammer, and he, you know, he hit the helmet on the one watermelon, and and uh, it stayed intact. And then he hit the other watermelon, and it it didn't, and uh, it just kind of splattered all over. And uh, I think that was at a at a trade show or some kind of place where we could actually buy helmets and we bought helmets that day and uh that helmet was on my head when i fell 38 feet uh and it stayed on and it helped protect my head um and so thank you rob for that for sure and uh so that you know it's a journey i think it was a big deal but as well it's just my safety you know whatever i'm young and i'm superman and all that stuff but when all of a sudden we realized that as company owners, then uh, it's our responsibility, uh, you know, the safety of our, of our workers. Plus then some of those workers had young kids, you know, I mean, and, and you just, you don't want them to be hurt on your job and to think about the trickle down effect. So that's um, a little bit of reality, I guess, maybe you'd say. Yeah, no, definitely. And I mean, you're right. The eighties were a very, different time in terms of everything not just tree care i mean cars and seat belts and a, a lot of things um so what eventually led you to the a300 committee how did you end up from i don't even know everywhere when you started to to the a300 committee yeah um so well so it's one person uh Mr. Dane Buell, thank you very much. He was the chair at the time of the A300. 
and he and I had built a relationship. Um, he was, I think, the operations manager, director of operations for Savatree. Uh, Savatree was a big customer of Cheryl Tree that I was working with then. So we had built a relationship through that. Um, I had already been working on other larger committees, the Z133, a lot of the things we were doing through the ITCC and the rules committee there, and just, you know, learning how to conduct yourself in committees and, and that type of thing. I think a, a um, sort of a skill of mine or just an, a general ability of mine is uh, to be able to manage groups of people. And, and I think Dane kind of understood that. And uh, so he said, Tim, there's an A300 meeting in, in New York City and you need to be there. I was like, oh, when's this? Next week. I was like, oh, well, I don't know. So uh, sure enough, um, I managed to, to be able to go and I was very nervous. Uh, and, you know, I was just uh, Dane's guest there. And you know, we figured out that I could be a TCIA associate member rep. Uh, so I stepped into that role and started being comfortable, you know, with the committee members. I already knew several of the committee members, uh, had a relationship with them. And we only meet every six months, twice a year. So it was, took some time to get into the groove and, and to learn the committee. Uh, and then I, I started being comfortable. I started being able to, um, I think, um, provide some actually meat and potatoes, uh, you know, be a value to the committee on, on, I think we were just wrapping up pruning and we were doing some other things. And, uh, and there is a very high level of expertise within that committee. So uh, that was one of the reasons I felt very intimidated looking around that room. Uh, and then, uh, you know, it wasn't too long into the process that I started realizing that, uh, you know, Dane's got me here, not so much as a subject matter expert, because I wasn't really so much on any of the, any of the individual parts, um, but more as uh, to, to help lead the group. And I think I almost felt a little bit better when I started realizing that, because I thought that that I could do that better than sort of a, a, an expert on any of the individual parts, but it was still pretty nerve wracking. But once I got my head around, look, it's, there's so much horsepower on that committee that really the, the chair's job is just to remove roadblocks and to create a space and an atmosphere where, you know, the work can get done. Uh, and uh, all the subgroups and task groups, when they get together, that they've got the, uh, the IT, you know, if they need projectors and they need separate rooms and at the hotels where we're meeting and, you know, their spaces. It's so important that uh, that stuff, which seems small, is taken care of because that allows, you know, if you, if you blow a half an hour, you know, trying to find a room or get a PowerPoint, get a projector working or get a screen. I mean, that's, that's a half an hour. That's huge when you're only meeting twice a year. Uh, for two and a half days. So I think that's a big part of the chair's job is just to, to set the, set, you know, be efficient, to, to really focus on the, uh, the, the members being able to, uh, to work efficiently uh, within that committee. And then it goes from there because uh, there's such good members of that committee that uh, you give them the space and, and the room to work and, and they got it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, that's, I think that's part of what made it easy was, uh, you know, once, 
uh, once they were going, they really went well. So I think we probably should have clarified this question first for the audience, but what is the A300 committee? Yeah, great. Uh, thanks. And that when, when uh, that was the first question I asked of Dane when he said, you need to come to the A300 meeting, right? He's like, wait, hold on. I definitely heard about that, but you got to, if you want me to be at the meeting, you got to clarify. So yeah, actually um, I have, so at the beginning of every meeting, uh, the chair reads the purpose, and it's it's a good reminder uh, to the committee uh, what the purpose is, and it's pretty short, and I can't say it any better uh, than in the A300 here, so I'll just read it real quick, and it's um, ANSI A300 standards are intended for the development of work practices, written specifications, best practices, regulations, and other measures of performance. So that's pretty much, I mean, that's the meat and potatoes. There is actually a second part of that. And since people might be uh, wondering, and this could provide a bit more clarity. So it goes on to say, these standards may be exerted or incorporated by reference However, they are not intended to be adopted in their entirety into laws and regulations or as work specifications without additional information and clarification. So one way I kind of look at it is, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I would like to see these standards become more integrated in the tree care industry uh, is because uh, I'm concerned about how our customers view the industry. Uh, and what they think of, uh, you know, when they, well, I was going to say open the yellow pages, but I guess we don't do that anymore, whatever, um, you know, and try to find a tree company. If they call and they get, they call three different tree companies, they get three different estimates, depending on the companies they call, those estimates could not be similar at all. And I'm not even talking about price. I'm just talking about specifications. You know, if it's take a tree down, that's pretty cut and dry, right? Take it down. Although, uh, you know, it's nice if uh, it's spelled out, you know, what's going to be done with the debris, is the wood going to be left, is the stump going to be cut to a certain height, you know, the details and the specifications, uh, even with a simple removal. But when it, it comes to multiple trees and pruning and, and maybe you want to provide clearance or uh, from a structure or uh, for walking by, uh, you know, the details that are involved wouldn't it be nice if each of the cost estimates or the specifications that you received from these three companies were very similar? And you know, you could say apples to apples, like it was easy to compare apples to apples. Because right now, I think if you've got three or four trees on your property and you're kind of asking your arborist for some advice on them, you know, you like those trees, what can I do to make sure they're going to be around for a while? You know, terminology can be different on all three of those, uh, and and uh, the the recommendations can vary widely. So I think that the A three hundred standards uh, provide the guidance to the arborists, consistent guidance. And if it's followed, then what that customer is going to end up with, if they get three or more is uh, the ability to compare apples to apples. There, there's gonna be some things that are gonna be a little bit different, but uh, I think that's one of my favorite aspects of um, a successful A300. I think that more than explains it to even me, who's part of TCIA, you know? Yeah. I know the, the basic basic purpose, but I'm not involved in on those 
six months meeting. So it's nice to hear uh, perspective behind what's going on behind the scenes, especially, especially because this is incredibly important both to people within the industry and outside of the industry um, for perception of professionalism. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the pruning standards, which I, they were, I, yeah, 2017 is when the printing standards were were sort of updated, if you will, and that's when you know kind of a big thing there was when when um, the word crown cleaning got taken away, and and you know it taken so many years. You know that's one that I had worked with as a, when I was pruning trees and as a sales arborist, and uh, you know a term that I had used a, a lot, and um, and it got taken away, and um, you know there was uh, the A300 at a lot of the expos. Uh, I think the last four or five and maybe even more have the workshops for the A300. And often they will focus on the pruning because there's a lot of angst amongst pruning. And I understand that, you know, if you're, if you, if you have a, a big small business or if you're a successful sales rep for a large company or whatever, um, and you've been out selling work and you've been doing it well and you've got happy customers and your and your climbers know what you're talking about when you're writing, you know, specifications and and it's been working. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's these change and it's pretty major and it's different terminology and uh, it can be frustrating. So it's interesting in these workshops that uh, you hear quite a bit of frustration voiced and um, which is terrific. And then we go through exercises um, and we try to get the idea out there about uh, the guidance and just thinking about it a little bit differently um, and taking the client's point of view into it uh, more. And uh, go, the exercises that we go through uh, is essentially walking through the, the new printing recommendations and at the end, you know, the product that you come up with is pretty darn clear. You know, whether you're talking to the customer or whether you're trying to explain to your climber what it is that you're recommending for the trees, following the newer pruning standards allows for much greater clarity. So it's much better for that homeowner to understand, you know, to have their expectations to aligned with what's actually being recommended. And I love the fact that the climbers uh, now are, uh, have a greater ability to understand what it is that they're gonna be doing up there. You know, you don't just go prune a tree. You know, now you're gonna go up there, you're gonna provide eight to 10 clip feet of clearance from the house. You know, you're gonna um, remove four to five, uh, three to four inch limbs on the south side. You know, it seems like it, when you get into those type of details, they seem intimidating. But once you do it, it's, it's amazing how quickly you can start getting used to those amount of details and, uh, and it's good. And so that's the printing standards. And I think the other standards kind of fall in line with that. It's just clarity, um, expertise. You know, the A300 committee keeps a close eye on um, research that's being done and any research that uh, may uh, require changes in A300 standards. So there, there's a lot of work that's done. And, you know, I like to emphasize how important it is to be involved in stuff like that. And like you said, you know, even if you don't like what's going on to be involved that way and let somebody know, because change doesn't happen if everybody sits quietly and mumbles when these meetings aren't going on. So can continue off of that. Why, 
you know, you know why it's important to get involved, but why should somebody else get involved? Because I know we're going to have people who say, well, I'm not going to make it to the same level as Tim. I don't want to be involved on the A300 committee. So I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Why is it important to get involved? And what are some things, you know, maybe on a local level or even a company level that people can get involved in that will help make a difference? Sure. So uh, as far as why, you know, look, if this is the path that you've chosen in life and, and you've decided to be an arborist or whatever type of uh, worker in the tree care industry that you've decided to be, um, you know, if this is it, then, then, you know, why not work to make sure that you can be the best you can be at, at what you've chosen? It takes effort. It takes time. It takes, you know, weeding through some of the garbage that's out there. Uh, it takes mentorship. It takes connecting with uh, some individuals um, who maybe have experienced some success. And uh, there's lots of individuals in the tree care industry, just because I think they're drawn to the tree care industry, who, uh, who have those who have had some success, who love to share it, right? You know, love to pay it back. Um, and uh, so don't be afraid to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to reach out. I love when I do talks and, and people send me an email or a text or, or whatever, give me a call. And, and uh, you know, I love connecting with them. They're like, I don't want to bother you. To, you know, I'm sure you're busy. It's like, hey, let's, let's talk, let's chat, you know, and um, you know, keep my number handy. I want to be a resource for you. So you know, decide to put the effort forth. Um, you, know, the, you know, with uh, the internet, and uh, there, there's so many good, reliable companies out there. Manufacturers are putting such good information out there on their websites anymore. Um, you know, I say like Petzl has so much information out. You can click and click and click, binge the Petzl website, right? Because I mean, you'll be on there for hours and hours just on gear inspection. It's amazing. So um, put some, then that stuff you can do by yourself. Uh, if you hear a good talk or see one virtually or, or you know, go to tree climbing competitions and see somebody uh, who, who really uh, seems like they know what they're doing, they're competent, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to them, introduce yourself, try to make that connection uh, and try to keep that connection going because um, they're so important. I've had so many great mentors uh, in, my, in my journey and continue to have them. And what's fun is as uh, I'm getting towards the twilight of my journey here that I'm able to, you know, give those back more and more and, and be a mentor to others, which uh, is a, a great satisfaction uh, on my part. Uh, so then what was the second part, how to get involved? Yeah, or I guess where, you know, on like a local level or a company level. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, if you're less academic and, uh, you know, more uh, sort of uh, to the tools like, like I have been and I'd say still am, uh, then I think the tree climbing competitions are a great, uh, great avenue. You know, Expo, wow, right? I mean, holy moly, the, the, the level of competent um, uh, presenters at that is, is really high. You know, so so go to those, uh, stick around, go up front, introduce yourself to the speakers afterwards or whatever we do virtually now. Um, and uh, just don't be afraid to reach out. Uh, that's all. And, and the competitions, even if you don't want, if you're not, there are so many very good climbers out there who just aren't interested in competing. And I, I totally appreciate that. But get involved as a volunteer, as a technician, even just running a stopwatch. 
Um, and then you can you can kind of listen in on the conversations that happen. You can you can see uh, you know the competitors that come through your event, um, and and just by you know just by doing that, you get exposed to so much. I think those are all really good places to get started. You know, especially Expo. Yes. <laughs> obviously, Absolutely. obviously, I'll approve of that one. <laughs> yeah. um, so during your time, has there been any sort of uh, memorable experience? memorable experiences as you've been uh you know volunteering at any of the climbing competitions or going to an a300 committee meeting what's kind of something that sticks out to you when you when you do stuff like that you know i'd say um just you know my process of i mean like you know thinking about mark bridge um and you know mark bridge is uh, uh just a you know, gold star player in the tree care industry, just super high level. And when I got to interact with him at the tree climbing competitions as head technician, and then he started volunteering and we got to work together. Um, and he was assisting me um, as, as uh, when I was um, head tech and then, then you know, he took over. Um, so we worked together in that transition um, and I would just, I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, how did this guy, you know, who 1985 just didn't even know what he wanted to do. And then there I am, you know, mingling and having these high level conversations with somebody like Mark Bridge, you know, just, um, yeah, that's, you know, something that I kind of pinched my side. There's just, and there's just too many, you know, uh, you, the one thing I love about tree care industry is these people know how to fun, right? I mean, it is a fun group, man. Holy mackerel. Rip Tompkins is another one, right? I remember being super nervous going to my first Arbor Master training, right? And like, I don't, I think I wasn't even using friction savers. I forget. I mean, I had some bad habits, you know, and, um, and he's a good friend now, you know? And so just, uh, just being able to make those connections and, uh, and have those laughs and good times and, and overcome challenges together. I mean, there have been some, you know, pretty serious things that we've gone through together. But um, yeah, I so community connectedness, uh, I guess, um, in general. And I, I, yeah, my first expo when I started here, I did not know what to expect because, you know, I think the only expo I had gone to was with my dad when I was younger to a, a lighting expo. Mm. And it was a very different atmosphere than when I pulled up in North Carolina in 2018 for the first one. I was like, this is crazy. Are, are they allowed to do that as they're using like the climbing equipment going up the ceiling and stuff like that? I was like, huh, yeah. that's a new one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But we're coming up on the end of the hour and I just wanted to uh, ask, is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't brought up or haven't gotten detail enough or anything really? Yeah, you know, uh, I would say that when I started in the tree care industry and started learning about it the first four or five years, um, you know, somebody asked me, hey, Tim, you know, I got this energetic, uh, you know, teenager and, and I don't, you know, college is going to be his thing and, and, and not really sure what to do. Him. You know, how about the tree care industry? At that time, I was like, no, nah, I don't, you know, probably shouldn't. It's pretty dangerous and nah, keep away from the tree care industry. Well, that, I totally changed that now, right? I mean, there's so many amazing avenues, right? I mean, I've been to Australia, I think 
nine or 10 times, uh, you know, going doing seminar trips down through there over in Europe. And I mean, just all over the world. And there are so many others who started at one point in the tree care industry and just navigated their way up through the industry and found little slots to go into and just turned out to have these amazing, fulfilling, rewarding careers. Um, I've got a niece, Lindy Bushnell, who just started with uh, Bartlett Tree Experts down in, uh, in, in uh, Chesapeake, Virginia. And I am thrilled that she is in the industry, right? And um, so, yes, I don't, I would say don't hesitate at all. If you know somebody and you wanna give them a direction, they, they need to be outside, they need to burn some energy, they, need, they like that, that's the kind of person they are, then tree care industry uh, is probably a good place that they can land. Thank you to our podcast sponsor, Samson Rope. Your climbing ropes aren't just tools of the trade. Your life literally depends on them. Specifically designed to endure any environment you throw at them, Samson climbing lines not only meet the rigors of your job, but are engineered to keep you safe. The result of a legacy of over 140 years of innovation. Hyperclimb is a new 100% polyester 11.7 millimeter double braid climbing line engineered for both moving and stationary rope systems that run well with your hardware and Pru-6. Hyperclimb's low elongation is key for long ascents and dual purpose climbing. Hyperclimb from Samson, the strongest name in rope. Visit samsonrope.com for more information.